0: Hello and welcome to the Tap Market Podcast. I'm your host, Troy Scarborough. I'm an entrepreneur who has started, acquired, and more importantly, is focused on growing companies. In this podcast, you'll hear from entrepreneurs about how they got their start, what their company is about, what has worked for them to get to this point, and how they plan to build their brands. Expect to find actionable tactics that you can use to grow your business and get motivated to get through the grind into a meaningful entrepreneurial outcome that will change your life. I'm thrilled to have you here. Be sure to follow us on YouTube and Instagram, at Tap Market, and let me know if you've been listening to the podcast. I love connecting and hearing from you. All right, let's get to it. Hey guys, this is Troy from the Tap Market Podcast. I'm here today with Jason Franciosa from Element 26. Jason, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Jason's actually kind of a quasi-mentor for me being in the Capitalism Incubator. And I'm really excited to have Jason here today. He's grown his company fairly significantly over the last handful of years. And I'm looking forward to this story coming to the audience today. Jason, tell us about Element26, what you guys are and how you got your start here.
1: Sure. Element26 is a athletic and way gear company. We primarily market to the functional fitness space, but we sell pretty much to everybody. Our wave belts are number one on Amazon, most likely number one in the world, just because of that. We are global at this point. We started in 2017, and really it was just myself and my business partner who he's a doctor of physical therapy and a prior power lifter. We essentially just wanted to develop products for ourselves because we we're having issues with existing products in the market. So we looked at like a lot of different things that were available and we thought like how can we make this basically functionally focus at the same time, not more than we need. You know, so some thick leather belt with a massive buckle. I mean, yeah, that works, but it's a pain for a lot of reasons. So yeah, we kicked off with a wedding belt and now we've launched a bunch of products and launched into multiple sales channels and multiple countries and it's been a lot of fun. Foundationally, the company name stands for the 26th element, which is iron. A lot of people don't realize that, but that's where the name comes from. And yeah, that's it.
0: Why this category? What, what was it about this category that got you guys excited? Were you historically a crossfitter, weightlifter? How did you pick this?
1: Yeah, so I've always been into fitness. I did a lot of mixed martial arts growing up. And then I was in the military where fitness is everything. Like, if you're not into fitness, then you don't get promoted and basically kick you out of the military. And then my business partner, like fitness is life. Like he was a... Basically a professional powerlifter, a doctor of physical therapy. I mean, eight years of school and within kinesiology and physical therapy. i probably one of the smartest guys I know when it comes to actual functional training of body mechanics and movement and well beyond your average personal trainer or your average coach who might have like a certification, but not eight years of training. So it made sense in the name itself signifies what that scientific approach to training and gear development. And with his background, it was just a perfect match.
0: Yeah, so this is a classic case of, of really serving yourself. You guys were working out and he was in the industry, and you, you see the need to improve the products. You know, I've historically used a rogue belt myself. I know that one of the big differences in, in your Element 26 belt, which is what I technically use now, has a different mechanism that you guys invented that makes that Velcro based belt safer, which is ideal. When you're actually taking weightlifting seriously, those are the types of things that that make the big difference to you. How did you guys get started with your audience? How did you start to attract that audience? How did you get feedback that the weight belt would be the first thing that you'd start with back in 2017 when you got your start, right? Yep. Yeah. So
1: some great questions. It, just to be clear, we didn't invent our self-binding system. It was actually on a patent in the 80s from Sheik, but nobody had applied it the way that we had applied it. You know, sheik makes a great belt, but it's very specific to like bodybuilding. It has some weird shapes and stuff. It's not really good for general fitness or you know even crossfit or something like that. But it's great for bodybuilding. So we basically took a bunch of the things that we liked from different belts and designed what we thought was amazing. So the way that basically we got started, the reason that we went down that path was, I mean, this was the product that we were able to really differentiate at the time because nobody on Amazon had anything like it when we first launched. Everybody now has attempted to copy it. But at the time, you know, we were the first to do it. So we had a unique differentiator, a mass market product. So it has a lot of potential because the you know, weightlifting belts is one of the top selling products within the fitness space, specifically weightlifting gear. It's one of the things that most people will buy throughout their journey. And we had a reason for someone to buy it. You always have to put yourself in the shoes of the customer. Why are they going to buy your product versus your competitors? And especially if you're selling on Amazon, because you have all your competitors lined up against you. And especially if you're starting out, you have no reviews, you have no trust. So, why would anybody buy your product, right? So, if you have some sort of unique differentiation that makes sense to them and it solves a specific problem, and none of your competitors do, well, there's a very good reason to take a risk and buy this new company's product. So, that was very important for us launching a new product and actually being successful in the marketplace is not copying someone else and trying to just, oh, look, here's the best seller. Let me just do that same product and put my logo on it, and it's going to sell great. It doesn't work like that.
0: Yeah. So I'm assuming that you didn't launch directly onto Amazon Cold Turkey, that there was some other customer engagement that you did to really build the momentum when you launched that belt for the first time. Is there anything that you did particularly that helped you be successful in those early days of Amazon?
1: In 2017, we made a lot of mistakes, right? So what we launched on Amazon, and we did a lot of hustling. We were showing up to different gyms and just talking to people, a lot of friends, family, whoever we could get to buy it, just to get the sales velocity up and get those initial reviews. If I was to do it again, I could definitely do a lot better. But this was the first time I ever did e-commerce. You know, it, in, I think people look for like the, this like magic wand where you're going to launch your product and a month later, it's you know scaled and profitable and you're number one. Like It's not going to happen unless you have a massive budget, but then you're going in with a bunch of cash and you're going to lose a bunch of cash to hopefully make that back. Right? But if you're starting off from zero, and for us, we had a very limited budget when we started, you kind of just gotta do the grunt work. You gotta reach out to whoever you can, you gotta get those initial reviews, you gotta make those initial connections with your local, people that have small followings, but they can get you a few sales, right? And and put a plan in place. So that's what we did and it took a while. I mean, we didn't break seven figures until 2019. So it took us two years to break seven figures, right? don't realize that two years is a long time, right? It's a lot of work. It's months and days and not seeing any progress and just basically trusting that you're going to win in the marketplace.
0: Some of those tactics that you're doing in those two years getting from zero to seven figures, it's manually reaching out to the customers buying your product and making sure that you get a review, optimizing that because they're extremely important. I think you guys have always been trying your hardest to get influencers because that's your industry if you can build trust and credibility on your product with people that your customers aspire to be or learn from then that builds a lot of goodwill is that were you guys in that time frame also going after building your your audience through the audiences of others other crossfitters or or other people in the gym space, if you will?
1: Yeah, but I wouldn't say just influencers. So I think way too many people
0: get obsessed with Instagram influencers or YouTube influencers, whatever, right?
1: There's so much more opportunity out there for win-win relationships. And so something that we've always done really well is think outside the box. How can we get in front of our audience in places that they trust and they're actually willing to take recommendation to purchase something and actually buy? It? So a lot of like business partnerships have done very well for us. You know. Looking at like newsletters in our space, you know, advertising on CrossFit specific newsletters, advertising on CrossFit specific websites and in blogs, and partnering with other companies who have a customer base as opposed to just influencers. Influencers are really good for creating content and giving you trust and authority for you to market. Influencers are usually not very good at sales. If you have an influencer with 10 million followers, you'd be lucky to get like 0.001% of their actual sales because most people follow influencers because they care about watching the influencer on their journey, stuff like that. They're less concerned about like, what is the product recommendation this person makes? There's some exceptions to that. Like product review influencers, that's different. Their audience is trusting them with product reviews. So if they recommend a product, there's a high chance that they're going to actually purchase, right? So those are great influencers if you're looking for sales. If you're looking for branding, then that's different. You know, branding and you basically investing into that influencer to to get like uh, a product use video or get them talking about the product, then you go ahead and use that for ads. That's going to work very well because now you're optimizing it and you know what to do to actually get sales. And then you're just using the trust the
0: influencer to to increase that conversion rate, essentially. Jason, I I couldn't have said it better myself. As you know, that is the thesis behind tapped market is the co-marketing aspect, the business to business, working with each other to leverage each other's audiences to get sales. You know, we've got... Drew Camp on here recently from the Epic Dad Company. He sells pre-workout to dads out there. He doesn't sell a a weight belt. Element 26 co-marketing with Tedco and Drew is like a great example, like easy example for me to say, you guys have a similar audience that you can work with that's beneficial to each other. And there's definitely a way to structure working with each other, whether it's inserts in the products you're sending to people, whether it's Email marketing blasts, whether it's a blog article, just introducing it to your audience. There's a win-win scenario where you can put it together and, and work with it. I own two companies that target essentially the modern dad and, and Forrest and Harold with the men's accessories company and LawnServe, which is the DIY lawn care subscription box. Both of these companies are targeting dads. We co-market across brand all the time because it's the same buyer. It's the same person. So I really like that. I think that we can find more ways for people to connect at that level and make big influence. And it's cheaper than than going to Google or Facebook or some other what seems easy PPC method, but it's cold traffic. This is this is warm traffic that if you structure it the right way, it might not cost you anything. It might just cost you re- reciprocation to get your, the flywheel started.
1: Absolutely. So like one of the biggest analogies that I always use in the incubator when I'm coaching other businesses is the low-hanging fruit tree, right? And I talk about that all the time. Essentially, what that is, is a way to visualize what is your greatest ROI of your time, money, stress, and effort. And what that allows you to do is say, okay, well, I mean, I could do Facebook ads, but I know that's going to be very expensive, take a lot of time. So that's probably higher up on that tree versus like some sort of business partnership with a complimentary business or the complimentary advertising company that's already in my space and has a very qualified buyer list that's going to be a much higher use of my money, time, effort and stress than trying to crank Facebook ads right off the bat. So absolutely.
0: In those early days, was there a particular I know that you launched on Amazon, but was there a particular focus just to Amazon versus having Amazon and a Shopify store and sell on Walmart marketplace which didn't really exist then, but like you get the idea. How did you go about that deployment of focus? from a marketplace perspective.
1: Uh, So the other part that I teach incubator is double down on what works until it stops working. And for us, Amazon is still that thing. You know, it's been five years and we're still growing at over 100% year-over-year just through Amazon, right? So it'd be silly for us to try and create something new or divert resources. Now that we have a much larger budget and bigger team, we have the resources where we can still hit the gas pedal on Amazon and explore new markets. When you're first starting out, I think one of the biggest mistakes people make is trying to do everything all at once. Now with that said, having a basic website set up is important. Not for sales, but for customer trust and engagement, right? So say you have a warranty on your product, they need somewhere to go fill that out. You don't want them going to just a random Google form, you want them to at least see something official from the company. They're going to have issues, right? They're going to Google your company and try and find and contact you a lot of times. You know, especially if it's something that you know Amazon's generic customer service can't handle, because they truly like the product, but maybe they have some questions about it. Washing instructions or instructions on how to use the product, stuff like that. That's what the website's important for. But if your goal is to launch and scale on Amazon, it'd be silly to try and do your website or retail or something else at the same time. But if your goal is to say scale your website and not be on Amazon, then don't do Amazon while you're trying to scale that, right? So as long as you're seeing results, double down on what's working, and just be very cautious trying to chase new shiny objects because that has killed more businesses than pretty much anything else I've ever
0: seen. At the same time, you're doing a lot of those other efforts like building your list. You're trying to capture a percentage of your Amazon audience into a list that you own, that you can communicate with, that you can put new product launches in front of. And I'm assuming that you actually drive a lot of that traffic back to purchasing on Amazon because of the, the multiplier effect that you can get on Amazon by launching a product and getting the organic conversions and the attribution conversions that they have on Amazon now too.
1: One thing a lot of people don't understand about Amazon sales is you can profitably acquire customer data. It's a big aha moment for people when they actually, when that clicks, but say you're doing 1,000 sales a day, you only capture 20 of those email addresses. You acquire 20 email addresses from highly qualified customers at a massive profit, as opposed to paying Facebook you know, $3 per email address, and they didn't even purchase, right? Just for getting leads. So it's a profitable lead acquisition strategy, which is just you know, unheard of.
0: And what are you doing to capture those email addresses? Let's say it's 20%. What tactic are you actually performing to get them? So, I mean, the number one is great customer service. It doesn't matter what you sell.
1: Someone's going to want to reach out, whether it's just them saying, hey, I absolutely love this, or whether it's them saying, hey, I have an issue, whether that be sizing or returns or whatever, right? So really good customer service is number one. And then inserts. You know, within your insert, it really should be about the customer success. So in my opinion, the most important thing within your insert is have some sort of instructions or a place for them to go to learn more about how to, be successful with the product. Because the better the success they have with your product, the more likely they're going to be a raving fan. And the more likely that they're going to purchase your future products and want everything that you you have. Whether that be being on your email list, joining your Facebook group, following you on Instagram. If they achieve the results that they're set out or exceed those results because of the product that you have and then the follow-up that you have through with it, that's going to make a raving fan as opposed to just like, hey, get another free product. Then they're just coming back because they want something for free. They're not excited about you or the brand. So it's a long, more of a long-term strategy because you know, way too many people in the commerce space think super short-term like, oh, well, look it, I have a 5% conversion rate on a free product. Well,
0: yeah, that's great, but how many of people are actually gonna pay for a product? <laughs> yeah, so you're putting postcard size inserts, because I've seen them, inside the package. You know, there's QR codes on those inserts that can drive back to a landing page. You can capture email addresses there maybe it's for an ebook, some sort of lead magnet, a workout program, just subscribe to the email list to get a workout a day, whatever it is, whatever's relevant to your customer's journey that they're on, that can truly add value to them. And you're going to get a percentage of them if you do a good job adding value, and that will build over time. Exactly. Was there a particular strategy that you could pass along on Amazon that you used to get to that first million dollars that you thought was kind of a hack that maybe you know because you how far along you are, but others could learn. Something that jumps to mind for me is sending off Amazon traffic to Amazon for organic conversions with the attribution link right now. That's big. Was there something else that you were doing that others could benefit from, whether it's around product launching or, or whatever it may be?
1: Not focusing on shiny objects. <laughs> so I mean, the fundamentals of Amazon is ranking reviews and sales, right? So the more reviews you get, the higher your conversion rate, which allows you to spend more on advertising, which allows you to get more organic ranking and so still lost. And it takes time. Too many people, I think, are trying to look for like... What is the latest and greatest hack this week? Or what is the tactic that I can use? To, it really just comes down to figuring out what works for you and your business, having a great product, and then sticking to it, like sticking to it for 12 months, sticking to it for two years. And that's the hardest part because it's so difficult when you're working your butt off and you hear about all these other stories of all these other people who like made it or are making all this money. You're like, I want to be like them, how do I get like them? And you want the results next week or in one month. But almost every single one of those persons either has spent years to get where they are, or they've previously spent years and now it's just the accumulation of all that. Because you're gonna learn so much along the way. So there's nothing that I would say is like this is the these tactic or these strategy. I mean, A, that's always changing. So whatever I say today is gonna be irrelevant by tomorrow. And then B, it's just the wrong focus. It, forces you to constantly focus on what is the next tactic. And then you never truly build a solid relationship with your customers. And then you never win because you're always having to find the next tactic or the next product or the next trip to get reviews or the next whatever, as opposed to just building a great company and taking
0: care of people. Yeah. Where do you primarily serve your audience? Is it through social media? Is it through your email list? Is it through a blog? How are you sort of on a day-to-day, the audience that you've accumulated? How are you best serving them today?
1: All those places. So we have a pretty in-depth email list because that's constant communication with our referring fans. We have a Facebook group that's basically running itself at this point. We have an Instagram. We have influencers who are basically representing our, our brands throughout not only their Instagrams and social accounts themselves, but when they're on the stage, when they're in competitions, when they're at their local boxes. And then showing up, like we just got back to Wanapalooza. there's like 60,000 people there. All of them saw our gear being used in the event. So it's like showing up, just show up to places, be where your people want to be and have your name on the things that they're passionate about.
0: Explain that. So you were uh, in Miami at an event, at a weightlifting crossfitting event, which is part of your target audience. It's an opportunity for you to get exposure, to get content, to meet influencers. But maybe you can talk a little bit about... Year one at one of these events, maybe it wasn't Wadapalooza, but maybe it was a different one. Year one at these events compared to what is it now? Year five at these events, the difference between where you were and where you are today. I
1: mean, again, it comes out of that snowball effect. So everything just scales as you grow. Our first year at the event, nobody knew who we were. People would come over just curious, like, hey, who are you guys? Right. And then we have to explain everything. everything. This year, almost everybody spoke to knew who we were or like, Oh yeah, I already have that product or I love it, or you'll hear a lot of like personal stories too. Like our grips are really unique. They have like this really grippy, almost like a tire rubber on them. We were the first to launch that as well. And that's helped a lot of people get like their first pull-up or their first muscle. So we have people come up with, like no, I absolutely love this product because it helped me achieve this. And if you actually listen to them, what they truly care about is what it helped them achieve, not the product itself. And that's how you create great products when you're truly
0: trying to help people achieve their goals, not what you want, which is sales. Right. And you're getting that holy grail of customer feedback. So I'm assuming you've made product innovations based on the feedback at these particular events from your core group of users.
1: Yeah. I mean, those are your raving fans and they'll tell you what they don't like too. You know, some people come up and be like, you know, we launched a new version of our grips
0: and we stopped selling the old one and... We got a lot of flack for that one. So we relaunched our old ones because I loved them. Yeah. And for you, I know it can be easy. We were talking about this before jumping on today. It can be easy to say, oh, there's a lot of exercise focused events, but there's events in literally every industry. Do not make the excuse that there's not an event in your industry. And if there is not an event in your industry, that is an ultimate opportunity to create one and start to build your own snowball. And then you own the audience there, and that could be even better than just attending another one. And you don't have to have a booth. The first time you go, you could just be walking around and introducing yourself to people and getting a lay of the land. And it's cheaper and upgrade to a booth when you think that you can actually afford it. You don't have to put yourself out too far. One of the things I, th- I like about what your strategy was, or part of your strategy was when you were there was I think you've gotten a lot of influencer relationships and partnerships and made good long-standing relationships in the space from going to these events as well. And that's really, I think, played out long-term for you, right? Well, and it strengthens relationships.
1: So like, we might have a relationship with somebody that we met through internet, right? But then there'll be other events, you meet them in person. And then it strengthens that relationship much more than just the online relationship because... There's only so much you can actually develop through a Zoom call or a Facebook call or whatever. Uh, it really takes a, a face-to-face to a truly strengthen relationships. So I think that's a huge benefit. And you're right. Like our first events, we didn't have booths. We just showed up. Start learning about the industry. Start learning what people are doing. Start listening to what customers are saying. Meet with other brands. Just talk to them. You don't even have to tell them what you're doing. You just go and chat with them. Again, there's just so much you can really learn from doing things in person You can't learn from all the research in the world online.
0: Yeah. It's really just getting out there and and building the momentum. Once you get there, you're it's a lot of the same problems, but you might have more resources to help you go at it. Let's kind of pivot down that path. I don't know if you can give us a little bit of direction as to where you guys are at size-wise now, but fairly significantly sized company still, but still running very lean. How is operating your company today different? Are there aspects today from when you started that you've implemented that have really helped you scale, whether it's owner model stuff, outsourcing fulfillment, or outsourcing marketing? How is your business different on its path to eight figures versus before seven figures, I guess? I hate to say it, but it's not much.
1: So that low-hanging fruit tree, basically you just start climbing up it. You know, so when you're first starting, you don't realize it, but you have so much more opportunity than when you're you're more advanced. When you're more advanced, you have more resources, but you've already used up a lot of those high ROI opportunities when you're first starting. So paid advertising becomes much more important as you scale because you kind of tap out what free advertising can do for you. So you know then it comes more about what is scalable and the idea of like, okay, well, I put a dollar in, I get $2 in sales, if I put hundred dollars in, I get $200 in sales, if I get $1,000 in, I get $2,000 in sales, that's not true, right? So you might put in and get $2 in sales, but $100 in only gets you $120 in sales. So you to be very cautious with becoming an inefficient business as you scale and really understanding what's giving you a high ROI versus what is just wasted resources. Because that wasted resources could be allocated to something else that's actually going to help you scale. And that's true with advertising. That's true with different software things. That's true with marketing. That's true with agencies. That's true with employees. So your goal as a business is to scale as quickly as possible while remaining as lean and profitable as possible. The biggest abusers of this is the companies that get overfunded from day zero. I was up at MIT for a year in the incubator up there, and there's so much funding up there because you have all these amazing engineers and all these good ideas. And It was almost like a joke. They pull like someone from the business school, someone from the engineering school, put them together and give them a bunch of cash. And the majority of companies failed because they'd have like 2 million starting up. And they're like, oh, all I gotta do is spend 2 million on advertising. Six months later they're out of money. And it's like, okay, well, you've made five hundred grand out of two million dollars in cash. So you've lost, you know, one point five. Because you never had to be efficient, you've never had to actually figure out what levers am I supposed to be pulling and what's gonna give me the highest ROI for those levers. So I think that's the biggest thing is just continue to to stay focused on the highest ROI events and tasks that's gonna meet your goals. Yeah. Whether that's just scaling as big as possible or
0: increasing profitability or breaking into new markets or new products or whatever. You brought up that point about it becoming more expensive as you scale the return on investment of a dollar in for receiving a dollar in advertising. I think about that is there's gonna be at some point where maybe it's your first product, you're growing to a certain level and you're starting to see that erode. And that's probably that point that it's telling you, you need to think about developing product number two or three or four and really start focusing on driving the average order values up and the lifetime value of your customer up. So now when you put a dollar in, you know that you're getting more dollars out of your customer. Would you agree with that? Yes, yeah, so this is
1: the classic S-curves, right? In a fast scaling business, they call it S-curves. You typically see that very slow start to the S, and then it'll just skyrocket. And then that'll start to round out and plateau. That plateauing is the sign that you need to start doing something new. So that's launching a new product, entering new markets, entering new sales channels. So you're going to stick with one product. It's new sales channels, new markets, everything else. If you're going to launch new products, that's your time, right? Because you don't want to do it when you're on that steep up curve, because then you're taking resources away during that period, that crazy growth period, right? And that could be three years of sick, crazy growth on a single product. I think too many people get obsessed with like, I need to launch the next product right now. And you have 10 products ready to go. Well, do you? I mean, how many huge companies have limited product lines? I mean, Apple only has a handful of products if you actually break it down, and for a long time their main income was like the iPhone, and there was like two versions of it. They had like two products for how many years, and that was like eighty percent of their income. And like they're a multi-billion company, so it really depends. And the biggest thing that I can tell people is like there's no black and white or general rule of all business that is going to apply to everybody, other than the fundamentals, which is you got to be profitable, you got to serve your customer. And what that means is you're providing more perceived value to the customer than you're receiving return, right? That's the foundation of any business. Because someone's willing to give you X amount of dollars for your product, And in their mind, what they're getting is worth more than the cash they're giving you. That's like pure fundamental business. Outside of that, there's really no rules. And your job as a business owner is to be creative and do something unique in the marketplace. Otherwise, why do you exist? If you're just a copycat brand that's just going to knock everyone else off, why are you there? Like, why would a customer buy from you when the other brand's already there doing it? So if you need to be unique, you need to be differentiated, and then just double down on those low-hanging fruits and then follow the S-curve. The crazy hacks and stuff, they might work for a short period of time. They might help you in the short term. And then you're just hoping to get out before it stops working. But if you build a solid business and you look long-term, A, your valuation is going to
0: go higher. And then B, you have something that you're actually excited about to continue to do it to scale. So do what you love. Exactly. And people will notice too. And I think you've hit that phase in your business where there's people essentially trying to knock you off, right? Like your your particular product, how do you defend against that? I think you're dealing with that or or you have competitors doing wild things like lowering their pricing to stuff that's unprofitable. And you got to stay steady in, in your business and your decisions. Have you been seeing some of that lately?
1: Yeah. I mean, so that's the nature of competition. So if you have something truly unique, you can, of course, apply for a patent and that provides you some protections, but still, patents are only good as far as you're willing to enforce them, which for a lot of companies is really not that far. And then you're going to get copied, right? But your goal is to focus on your customer and serve your customer. Your goal is not to focus on your competitors. The second you start focusing on your competitors and stop focusing on your customers is the second that they win. So keep focusing on making their experience, and the products they're using for them better. Uh, you know, and we're, our product never stays the same. Every three to six months, every single one of our product has minor modifications that make it better. So we get feedback and we correct it. So even though we have copycats, I know without question that A, none of them have our exact product because our factory is only for us. Our factory doesn't manufacture any other belts for any other company. And then B, we're constantly changing it. So when they copy it, by the time they actually get to market, our product's already improved. Beyond that one, so my customers know that when they purchase from us, they're not only getting the product that we're buying; they're getting the best version of it, and and that's fine. We've been copied so many times over the years, and
0: we're still number one. Yeah, because you're because you're serving the customer, and some of those innovations are not big. It's not like you're taking this weight belt and you're completely redeveloping it. You might just change the velcro, you know, hooks or the stitching on the seam or Stuff that maybe they, they'll they notice or, or maybe not even notice, but you know it's going to give a better experience. It's not like you have to think about completely redesigning to continuously stay ahead of the curve. That's what you mean, right?
1: Yeah. And it'll be reflected in your reviews. So your review average will be higher than your competitors because customers are going to have problems that are they're going to complain about. They'll be reflected in the longevity of the product and how many customer service issues you're having. And, you know, so constantly improving your product is just good business no matter what you do. And that's could be I mean, a product, could be a service, could be a software, right? I mean, software is notorious for it. You launch the minimum viable product and then you're constantly improving it from there. But there's no reason you can't do the same with a physical product.
0: Yeah, it's a good thing everybody can do. Always be reading all of your reviews because if you get a, a five-star review, you should be screenshotting it and posting it to your audience, telling that story. And if you're getting negative reviews, you're learning from it and innovating. So... What's next for element 26? How can this community support you guys? How can we follow you? Where should we go? Um, is there any anything actively going on within the business that that we can do? What's next?
1: Yeah. I mean, so check us out, element26.co Same on Instagram. Yeah, we're just continuing with our path forward. So doubling down on Amazon, launching new products. We launched a ton of products last year. So our goal is just to keep scaling those up. You know, we have the patent in the works for our new hybrid leather belt, which is really cool. You know, again, totally neat product in the market. Nothing's ever been done like it before in the past. And that's why we're able to apply for the patent for it. And I know it's going to end up being a bestseller because it is solving a major problem within and le- belts, specifically within le- leather belts, right? We're working on a app that I can't talk much about, but I'm really excited about that. So we have a lot of things in the works right now. And our goal is to double again this year, which I would say is pretty
0: conservative. So it'll be fun. That's awesome. I actually saw this leather belt, this hybrid leather belt, probably picking that up for myself actually, because I'm still in the nylon belt, the previous version. So I'm excited to give that a try. I'm going to be reviewing the product myself on our YouTube channel for Tapped Market and telling the the customers about it. Hopefully when the app launches, I'll obviously be apprised of that. We'll push that out to the community as well so that they can follow along. And we'd love to have you back and tell more when you have more product launches. But this has been a pleasure. You're kind of an inspiration every day to me because someday when I grow up, I'm going to be as successful as as Jason was. Mm -hmm. But uh, I look forward to, to continuing to follow along with you, Jason. Thank you for coming on today. Awesome. Thank you, Troy. I appreciate the time. Hi there. If you found this podcast helpful, I would appreciate it if you took a minute to leave a review. This increases the reach to more entrepreneurs and other people interested in the products, brands, entrepreneurial stories, and their successes. So we can create even more positive small business outcomes. Take a screenshot, tag me in your social stories to friends, This means the world to me to know this podcast has influenced your day and life in a positive way, and that we get to be a part of your own journey. With gratitude from me, until next time, go make it a great day.